Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Data for Subscriptions podcast, where we focus on how to succeed with subscriptions and as a service businesses. Today, I have the pleasure of welcoming Jonas Valenius back to the show. Welcome, Jonas. Yeah, hello, Bilad. Good to be back. Last time, Jonas, we spoke, we spoke about front runners, where you shared best practice examples, companies that are really doing it well when it comes to usage-based and consumption-based businesses. Today, you want to talk to us about Library of Pain. Yeah, so right in time for Halloween, we bring you the Library of Pain. This is over the course of 22 years doing what we do as a company. We have run into lots of pains. So I have a steadily growing collection of them. Uh, even in the PowerPoint deck here, it's actually full of blood all over the place. Uh, these are real pains we have run into with customers over the years. And uh, we're going to dig into that today. And what are these uh, collections of pains, if you help us categorize before we dig into it? Yeah, right. So so when I say pain, I can refer to several things, but I think a good framework to think about it is it's some frustration you have as a customer. It could be an emotional frustration. Uh, it can even be a personal frustration. It can be a financial frustration for the company. It can be an operational frustration. But somehow they typically keep you from growing at the pace you want to grow, right? So uh, there can also be inefficient ways of working that creates errors and customer complaints and stuff. But I wanted today maybe to highlight more the things that can inhibit growth and look at a few examples. And I'm looking forward to looking at those examples. But generally speaking, why is it so that companies are struggling with these type of issues, would you say? We have an internal marketing slogan that I'm trying to convince my CMO, Bedad, to use publicly, but I'm not allowed to. But I, I, I say, you won't get it until you've tried and failed. Uh, I, I even wrote a LinkedIn article on this topic last year, actually. And I think the major reason is just unawareness. You, you embark on some journey to say, maybe usage-based pricing or, or digital transformation, but you don't really know what you don't know. So maybe you start using Excel for tracking your usage or, or tracking your partner payments, or, or you use an iPaaS tool, which is great for general integration, but it's not built for revenue and usage data specifically. And then you tend to hit the wall as you start seeing success, hopefully as you, as with your company and you start scaling. Mm that approach tends to break down and then you see these pains and eventually you end up in my library of pain. So let's start with the first case then, the one that inhibits growth. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, if we start from the basics, it, the first pain can literally be just you're not collecting digital usage data at all. Mm -hmm. uh, sounds really Strange if you're in the SaaS business, perhaps. But if we look at a real example, we had a major port operator who was charging freight companies for the time their containers were spent in storage in the port, right? So it's a, it's a usage-based business model based on storage time per container. So all good. But they did it on paper. So ship comes in, stamp. Container goes out, stamp. Container goes to truck, stamp. Container goes into warehouse, stamp. You, yeah, you get it, right? You can imagine there were lots and lots and lots of papers. And then some poor guy uh, eventually had to take all the papers and input all that data into a big Excel file. I mean, it was a pretty big Excel file. That indeed sounds painful. 
But if you break down these different steps that you quickly highlighted and what impact they have on growth. Exactly. So so that was like the pain on the operational level, if you sure. will. But what is the symptom you see when you have a situation like this? Well, the first one is pretty obvious. Your billing cycles can become super long, slow, because of the manual work. And that's uh, still an operational pain, but it will impact your cash flow as a company, right? You, you don't get the bills out in time, you get the payments later, so therefore your cash flow takes a hit. And ultimately, this means that your company has less available cash to invest in growth. This is a pretty clear relation from A to B, but so many companies miss this connection. Uh, another obvious one is like, okay, if I have this really paper-driven process, it's hard to change, right? So imagine rolling out a new form. You need to literally run with papers all over the place. And so what they ended up doing was being the opposite of agile. They didn't make changes even though they, were, they wanted to or even needed to because it was just too expensive, too hard. So they became really slow-moving. And that's not good if you have competition. Uh, and the third one was also that they had they saw growing international trade, mm-hmm. and so there was just more and more paper every month. And they scaled this with more humans, more stamps. Mm-hmm. Excel file kept growing, and the frequency of errors also kept growing. And then you got complaints from the customers. You you had errors in billing, or you forgot to build some containers. You double build some containers. And eventually their customers were not really happy, right? So when you have unhappy customers, either the customers leave or your pricing negotiations will be harder. So your position to negotiate growth is weaker. Again, a business pain resulting from uh, data or operational pain. I mean, that was very good because you take something that sometimes can be perceived as something quite abstract and connecting it directly to a consequence, which is in this case, for example, weaker negotiation uh, situation mm-hmm. or customers basically leaving because of being unhappy with bills that are not matching their basically the service that they once requested for. Yes. Well, one example we're looking at situations like like long billing cycles, uh, unable to change rapidly, and customer satisfaction. But if you do, you have another example of how these kind of challenges can inhibit growth for us. Another one that we could talk about is. The when you have a supply chain and you have a partnering set up, uh, so many pump companies don't produce everything they sell. They may have they may be reselling services or products from other parties, other companies, right? And to ensure growth, the, of course, this reselling needs to be smooth, both on the delivery of the product and service, of course, but also on the revenue sharing side when the money flows back to the partners and. That's not always like this. So, I mean, usually in many companies, too many companies, there's a guy somewhere with a huge Excel, just like at this port operator. I I call him the the billing Excel guy, actually, because I've seen this person so many times. When you settle with partners, usually the contracts you have with the partners can be, you know, maybe they're on paper. Maybe all of them are different. You don't really have them digital. So somebody keeps a track in a big Excel of which partner is supposed to be treated how. And then this person will miss out on changes because some salesperson renegotiates something and forgets to tell the Excel guy, right? And then we have an error. 
And when this happens, we will see slow revenue sharing payouts to partners. It's sort of similar to the slow bill cycles problem we talked right. about, but the difference is here that your partners will complain. You will have disputes about your revenue share. You share $100,000, partners say, hey, you owe me, you should be paying me one hundred and twenty. And then you get into a dispute and you need to work out who has the right number. And, and the manual reconciliation work needed to, to work that out is time-consuming, really detailed, and quite grueling, to be honest. Um, and uh, yeah, if you know somebody who works with that, talk to them and just learn what it feels like. It's, it's rough work. Mm. If we want to make this even more tangible... Sure. I, I'll give you an example of when this can happen. So take a theme park. Let, let's go to, you know, no names, but let's go to a, a theme park. And I have an entrance ticket, right? So it's granting me one payment to an entrance ticket. It's granting me full access to the park. I can go on rides. I can get teddy bears. I can get Coke. I can go on a train ride or what have you, right? All the fun and games and stuff in the theme park. But chances are that the, all the services and products I consume are not actually delivered by one single company. Usually, the theme park has subcontractors delivering different services from, from food to rides to right. security or whatever. So from that one entrance ticket payment, we need to figure out how much of that should be shared with each partner, right? Mm -hmm. And who do you think does that? Excel guy, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that, that can work, but it's a tough job. But now take a media company placing ads at scale or an e-commerce vendor doing drop shipping or Microsoft Azure or, you know, they also have partners. They have lots of partners. They add and remove partners every day. So they need to have an automation of these settlements in order to grow efficiently. Um, and even not in these companies specifically, but some others, uh, we have found Excel guys at sizes you wouldn't believe. Uh, I, I, I know one who's in a, like a five billion uh, revenue company, IPO'd. There's an Excel guy handling all the partner settlements. Yeah, it's surprising because just take this little info nugget you dropped at the end, where you have a company valued at five billion USD. You would probably not think that uh, you would treat your revenue data in this case, which is where you're speaking about through Excel, where there's at least a high risk for errors, loss of revenue, customer dissatisfaction, partner dissatisfaction, and so on. But it is the case today. You've mentioned in the, disc, uh, the previous episode when we had the front runners where we've seen uh, more the software as a service companies that have been front running this kind of type of business where we see Maybe a little bit less of that, but even they are challenged uh, in their own ways. But certainly when we look beyond this small clique of companies, it is um, quite surprising uh, on what level we can start to improve from. Yes. And then go back to that super simplified example of the theme park. What I like about it that is that, first of all, I think it's something that all of us can relate to fairly easily. And I can see, obviously, from a theme park perspective, why you would want to provide that kind of a service to a visitor because it provides most likely a better experience, but the back-end complexity skyrockets. Yes. 
It does. And uh, it's an underappreciated problem. You don't see it as a visitor. And for the sharp-eyed uh, out there in the market, you might have noticed that uh, Microsoft uh, is a company that we are engaged with together with SAP, solving for for basically their entire ecosystem, which is quite interesting in itself, showing that the challenges from the example of a theme park, which is why you say that it is the same, but obviously massively more complex when you put it in a real life, one of the biggest software companies in the world. I know you have lots of examples in your library of pain, but do you have a final one you want to share with us as well, Jonas? Yeah, I, I could go on forever, but we, we don't do the podcast that long. Uh, so uh, the final example I want to talk about is also very common, which is when you find product market fit somehow and you start scaling successfully. You're using usage-based pricing, and when you find this success, it also means that you're going to get more and more and more usage data coming into your back-end systems. I have seen so many times how it works for a while and until it doesn't. So what happens? Well, the feeling is usually that you start seeing outages in your billing process. You see delays in your build process. You might do reruns of your build process. Uh, all these delays, the, the build cycle causing cash flow problems as we talked about before. So maybe what you do is just, oh, I need to replace my billing system. Panic, panic. No, mm -hmm. you can't do that because that's actually a very big project. It's not a quick fix. You should probably do that long term anyway if you have a, an old system, but that's not where you should start. So then what do you do? You Maybe you, you, you know, okay, I, I need to store my usage data somewhere in a database, or, or I you need to use this uh, integration tool or ETL tool I have happen lying around. So let's use that. And when you do that, maybe it solves the problem for a while, but you find out eventually that it's not really made for this either. So it also starts breaking down after a while. And then what you will end up with is a couple of people who are working full-time on just keeping this process up and running. And you rerun your bills, you hear data engineers complaining about dirty data, the, the data cleaning takes forever, and you know, it just this boring, grueling data work again needs to happen. And you, the, when this spreads outside your billing department, people typically start worrying about are we having revenue leakage somewhere because we don't have control of the data. The ultimate effect of this is that your managers or salespeople will say, you know what, I don't dare sell our product to this big customer. I don't dare to move up market because I don't think we can handle it. There's fear in the organization. And this is really not a good situation to be in. Uh, because obviously, we're well, like, okay, I want to sell up market or take one big customers or move into a new market. That's growth, right? If I'm hesitant to do that, I don't believe I can handle it. You're going to have a big growth inhibitor right there. Uh, and I think this is a super clear example where you have a technical problem, like a system that can't handle data volume in your billing process, mm -hmm. becomes a data problem, becomes a business problem, which ultimately inhibits your growth. And again, the connection from A to Z is not always obvious, for everybody, but I have seen it time and time again. This is a repeatable pattern we come across and, and solve for. Quick follow-up question on that. 
which been we've which we've been on before. How come it is so that companies, over and over again, uh, sit with the issue of trying to fix the billing system as opposed to realizing that the problem probably resides in how they manage the data that feeds the billing system? There, one of it is one one aspect of this is just unawareness that there are solutions and systems that are purpose built to solve this exact problem. Many people don't know, uh, and the other one is that. The, the problem appears in the billing system. The billing system is the system that crashes and burns because right. it can't handle the volumes. That's where you see the pain. Doesn't mean you should solve the pain there. I, I think right. that's important to understand. So if I spin on the previous pain that you spoke about, let me paint a picture of a case that's probably quite common for many companies. Mm -hmm. So we want to as a company grow either within our existing domain by reaching customers with bigger wallets, or we want to take on new customers in a slightly different domain than we are currently in. Yes, to common strategies. Precisely. Our fear is our ability to scale when we do this because of the demands that it's going to put on our billing system. What's your advice to me on how I can prepare so I can avoid these risks yeah so i would say this is something that can be avoided if you put in a solid data foundation from day one or uh, when you have enough cash flow to do it so what would i do i would first ensure that i have the data i need which means both the usage data I'm collecting digitally but it also means the contract data the entitlements my customers have both of those should be available digitally. And if I have that, then, then then I need to just make sure that I can cope with the volume of those two. Because ultimately, I'm, I'm going to need to put those two together at an increasing scale over time, right? Second is make sure that the data that you get, collect, you need to clean it and bind it to customers and products right on the way in. So here, there's two paradigms where you can either store everything in a database or something first and then you get to work on it or you clean it on the way in so you can use it immediately i'm obviously advocating for the latter because the data will be available faster for the business this way talk to your database guys if they spend lots of their time data cleaning chances are they are not the happiest employees seen this over and over uh, and the last thing you should do is to track a couple of metrics. What is your bill cycle time? If you're doing partner settlements, what is your settlement time for payouts? And how many reconciliations do you need to do when there's a dispute? If you have those three metrics that you track, and you have, then you have a good progress meter in place to see if these pains are appearing more frequently which they typically do when you scale, if you don't address these from, from the beginning. And then, of course, you need to have a, st a strong audit trail so like you can prove what has happened in, in your process. That's also super important because then if you get a dispute, you can say, no, I have my data in order. Look, right. this is actually correct. You're wrong. Mm -hmm. right? There's lots of companies who can't do that, and then it becomes a you said, he said kind of dispute, which takes forever to work out. So if we go back to the ambition that I painted up, 
do you have a good example of a company that you've been working with that done this? Yeah, so uh, I have one example that I just love. It's uh, perhaps not representative of the size of every company we meet work with, but this is a customer of ours, uh, Geo, an Indian telecom operator. So India is one of the largest countries in the world, right? They launched uh, 4G uh, telecom mobile network in India 2016. So they had zero subscribers in 2016. Four years later, 2020, they had 400 million subscribers. Just taste that again. You know, it's 400 million subscribers in four years. So there's an insane growth story. They, they're processing more than half a million charging events in real time every second. Uh, and they just keep growing even further. Now they're launching 5G and you know it's just more, right. just continuing. And of course, they put a solid data foundation in place from day one. They knew they were going to scale. They knew that this was going to grow like wildfire. And they did the homework. They did it right. And, and now I'm, I'm not saying that all customers will have that scale. I mean, good luck to you if you get 400 million users as well in four years. But the same growth paths will happen for other companies. You will go from zero to something faster than you expect. And then to, to do that right, this foundation will really help you succeed. Great, Jonas. So let's wrap up with a few final questions then. You've mentioned already, so there's a there's a right path to do this, and there's a less right way of doing this, if we call it that constructively. <laughs> so let's go right to the point here. So DigitalRat obviously is um, is pretty good at doing this. We've done this for plus twenty years, but is DigitalRat's portfolio the only option in the market? Uh, no, it's not. I mean, as we said, you can do it on using Excel. You can build your own data management solution um, using databases and ETL tools um, or integration tools. And it works in the beginning. Like You can do that as a start, but there's a point where it will start breaking down, most likely, and that point is going to hit you Sometime. And the problem is you don't know. So right in the middle of when you're really starting to scale and boom, this starts happening. You start seeing these pains. Uh, and then what happens is that instead of focusing on scaling and growing the fastest you can, you know, suddenly you can't personalize the pricing to, to avoid churn or you get billing problems and you get churn, you get low MPS scores and... So you're forced to divert energy from the scaling and the growth into fixing data problems. That's right. not a great situation to be in. And then as I said in the beginning, you won't get it until you've tried and failed. Many companies, unfortunately, fall into that category and they come to us after they have tried something right. else. Um, but of course, um, my humble advice would be, you. why don't you listen and learn from these examples and actually give your business a good platform to grow on from the beginning. Yeah, and I think there's some very honest advice here because what you've told us with several examples during this conversation today and also in our previous is, first of all, this is a pattern we've seen not just with small businesses, you would think we have companies with the biggest amount of resources. In fact, many of those are the ones that have the biggest problems because because of the fact that you have resources, you might have data scientists and engineers and you have a tendency to think that you can 
fix things yourself. In fact, many have, as you say yourself, uh, a starting point that go, let's just start mm. and then we will evolve over time. Your message is that unfortunately you kind of entangle yourself into a position where it's really hard to kind of detach and then you're finally finding yourself with these examples you gave today yeah. with what you started off with being a blocker for your growth. Yeah, and, and I really want to highlight the uncertainty of the you don't really know when you're going to hit the blocker. Precisely. And, and that's not a risk that you really want to hanging over your head, right? That's um, an often overlooked consequence as well. Is there ever a scenario where you would, um, if you put yourself in the customer's shoes, where you go, yeah, but there's still a place in the room for me to use one of these less suitable tools like the iPasses and ETLs or even become the Excel guy. Yeah, I mean, if you have low data volumes, you're using usage-based pricing of some kind, but you have uh, low data volumes, you have pretty static sets of data sources, sure. they don't change very frequently, you know, probably your billing system can handle that load and you're fine, right? You're maybe not a huge company or, or maybe the usage is very infrequent. All right, if you don't, another thing is like, if you don't need to do anything during a billing period. So like you just wait, collect usage and produce a bill and send it. You don't interact with customers during the month. You you don't look for overage. Uh, you don't track right. fraud. You don't have a real-time analytics going on during the billing period. Then again, maybe it's okay to just do the end of, end of month billing and find out then if it's right or not. But, but now you're painting up a scenario for a very, very simple subscription type of case. Yeah, exactly. The, but the low volume, low scale, um, there is little to no partner interaction, mm. for example. Okay. Exactly. So, so I think there's, <laughs> we could have another podcast just about that, like the reaction speed and how fast you can react to your data. But if you don't have that need, and then this is a you could work with something more simple. Uh, but but I think like one test you can do is just go talk to your data engineers, like the people who sit in front of your billing system. And just ask them, what what is your day like? What are you spending your time on? You will, you will probably be surprised. Do you have any final advice you want to send with us? I mean, okay, I'm collecting the library pain means I have seen pain. I have seen problems. Uh, you could say they result from mistakes, but mm -hmm. I think maybe we shouldn't be too hard on ourselves. As you said, you, you get moving with something. You do something to start uh, and all of us do our best. We experiment. It works for a while. Maybe it fails. We learn. We improve, right? So you're not alone. There's a lot of people going through, through the same journey, um, growing pains, if you will. Uh, and if you recognize any of these pains that we have talked about today, so, yeah, this symptom, I, I know Excel guy in my company or, you know, then why don't you think if maybe I should do my homework here and prepare for scale, prepare for success before it becomes an acute problem? And uh, then I think you can put a solid usage data foundation in place for future success. Fantastic. Thank you for today, Jonas, and thank you all for listening. Thank you, Bedad. Always a pleasure.